Hey, all you nature nerds. This is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back to another episode of You're Gonna Die Out There. I am Jen, sitting across from my co-host, Megan. Hello. We are here to tell you some more stories. Anything new this week? I have one thing. I just want to say thank you to Jennifer Kay, who wrote us. She said she just listened to episode 77, and haha, I'm the one from the Instagram convo. It was the Everest show, so I guess my memory isn't that horrible. Thank God. She did say no need for a shout out, but you know what? Jennifer Kay. We can't not do that. Here's your shout out. Thank you so much for, yeah. Sending the story, talking to us. We love it. Yeah. And we love that you re-listened to our episode. That always blows my mind. Yeah. That's so great. I can only listen to us once. (laughs) One time. One and done. Yeah. When I was doing the editing, I could only listen to us, you know, like 50 times. Right. The same things over and over again. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I felt like I talked to you a lot during the week, but really it was because I was editing us. Like, we hadn't talked for days. Yeah. Right? But I was like, man, Jen won't stop bothering me with this stuff about whatever. We were just talking a lot before we started we to get it all out of the, out of our system. <laughs> Earlier, I was telling Megan that I was thinking about getting a flip phone yes. because she's been watching X-Files. Yes. <laughs> and Mulder and um, Scully. Scully ended up in her dream last night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I was thinking to get a flip phone and not have a smartphone just so I wouldn't be on my phone as much. And then we talked about the possibility of you actually getting a pager well, and how much I would, better that would be. You said I would look like a, a drug dealer if I yeah, had a flip phone. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. I would need a pager. <laughs> then I would look like a drug dealer. This is true. Although back in the day, whenever I saw pagers, mm-hmm. I thought it was like a doctor. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm needed in the ER. Stat. Because <laughs> your pager would go off. It just says stat on the pager. <laughs> Those are my OR clothes. Oh, are they? <laughs> anyway, I was like, well, and if I had a pager, then I could just call you from a payphone. But I'd have to find those. You would have to install two, them. Two payphones on island. They're just in a dump someplace. They don't work. They don't. It's just, yeah. I just Amazing. think about that. I used to use payphones all the time. I used to date a guy who had a pager and I would page him and he would call me. <laughs> <laughs> from a payphone? Uh, from like his work phone or home phone or whatever. Yeah. It was like the way that you could call without calling and talking to anybody's parent. I bet kids now don't know what a busy signal sounds like. Right? Mm-hmm. Like when do they call a landline? Yeah. Because they're not making doctor's appointments. Nope. Man. Well, even landlines, I don't think they give you a busy signal. I think they just go to... So mine does. Really? It gives a busy signal because I have an answering machine. What? So I think if I had like a voicemail. Like an actual machine? Because you can get a voicemail set up with a, yeah, no, no, it's right over there. That's it right there. Oh. I know. I actually love my landline. The only downside is that I can't Bluetooth any headset to it. No. You just got to carry it around. I have to carry you it around. You should get one of those shoulder <laughs> like things to hold your phone. Like people yes. that work back in the day. Yes. Those big plastic, chunky plastic. <laughs> yes. Hard. Yes. Yeah. It's like in a in like a tan, but it's like a tan that you know. Then longer you need see to get anymore. a phone with a mm-hmm. cord oh, that's like 30 feet. 
um, 50 feet long so you can walk all over the house with it. Do you remember that for a period of time, Apple was selling like an extension to your iPhone that you could plug in and it was a corded handheld like handset? I remember being at a place in Hawaii, uh-huh. like at a store, and a woman answered her phone by pulling like a headset, the thing that you put down on the receiver. Right. Is that the receiver? I don't know. She was talking on the phone with a cord, like a little spirally cord going into her bag. And I thought, okay, I both hate that and love it. Yeah, right. Like that's so stupid. Uh Uh-huh. But also I would buy it. So comforting. Yeah. Do you remember your phone number from when you were a child? I do. So do I. I would totally tell you, but then people might call it. Well, you don't have to give the area code. Oh, that's right. 251-5904. Three five four four six zero eight. I'm gonna call that number right now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't know where I grew up. Hmm. Well, we anyway. know it's Oklahoma. We just have to figure out what area code, right? <laughs> right. We don't live there anymore. Good promise. Times. That was fun. That was fun. I have some science news. I'm ready for. I'm ready for your science news. I found something interesting. I got him into the B the BBC. The BBC. The BBC. They have a lot of interesting stuff. I did go through Science Daily, and I found a lot of other interesting. Oh. But one of them was like, basically, if you exist on five hours of sleep per night, you're going to die, like, tomorrow. Were you worried at all? I was like, what about six hours? (laughs) (laughs) Just one extra hour. I mean, are we okay on six? That's usually my average. Did it say, like, eight to ten a night is, like... Seven to eight. Oh. Seven or eight. I'm definitely over... <laughs> I'm under, always under. I'm just Sometimes making I up hit for you. seven. Oh, yeah. And then there was another one that was talking about that they've proven <laughs> that chimpanzees will also uh, what's the word? Like when you're people walk next to each other and they copy each other's gait for a period of time. Oh yeah, of yeah, walking. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that chimpanzees like do that mirroring too. or something yeah, like that. Mirror yeah. each other's gait, like our stride or whatever. Chimpanzees do that as well uh-huh. with each other. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Do they do it with humans too? I don't know. Mm. I, I, I kind of skimmed. I was skimming You're like, interesting. those stories. I almost talked about that one, but I was like, but then it got super sciencey and technical. And I was like, wow, weird. Not into that. So <laughs> I found it. this other one that I kind of love. And the title is Ugandan Ivory Trader Sentenced to Life in Prison. Oh. Mm-hmm. The article reads, a Ugandan court has sentenced an ivory trader to life in prison, which is the longest sentence for such crimes in the country's history. And that was because of a new law that was passed in 2019 that toughened sentences for poaching or trafficking endangered species. Oh. Yep. So this guy, his name is Pascual Ochiba. He was arrested in January with two pieces of ivory weighing nearly 10 kilograms or 22 pounds. Mm-hmm jerk face they said that he's a repeat offender and he deserved life in prison to protect wildlife yeah that's great i know i kind of love it because i feel like we always talk about this Mm -hmm. there can be laws you know there can be what's the word regulations or if you don't have yeah if you don't have anything in place to actually like punish people or enforce enforce it then it just doesn't work Then it's like, why you even have the law? Right. It says, in passing sentence, the chief magistrate of the country's special wildlife court, Gladys, I can't say her last name, said offenses of unlawful possession of protected species are rampant and there is a need to curb them, according to a statement from the Uganda Wildlife Authority. This is a landmark achievement in our war on illegal wildlife trade in Uganda, and we must do our best in our times to protect our wildlife. Otherwise, history will judge us harshly. 
a couple of years ago in 2020, there was a hunter who killed a silverback gorilla known as Rafiki. I think I talked about this yeah, when I that talked about familiar. gorillas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he received an 11 year sentence. And then in September this year, two men were each sentenced to eight years in jail for killing six rare tree climbing lions. Mm. To me, that's not enough. Yeah. Eight years. I don't know. Anyway, I think to some people it's like, wow, that's a really harsh punishment because they're animals. Uh-huh. But I understand how you feel because I also agree. Yeah. And they say there's only like 7,900 elephants left in the wild in Uganda. So mm. and that includes both forest and savanna elephants. And they're critically endangered. The country's elephant population has been growing since the 90s. But the biggest problem is poaching and trafficking. Mm. So anyway, I guess the same guy, he was sentenced to prison before in 2017. He was arrested with four pieces of ivory and the skin of a okapi, in in case you wanted to know. Yeah. They're zebra-like forest animals, and they're endemic only to neighboring Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Well, I'm just glad some people are getting in trouble for once. Yes. I mean... That's the only way it's going to work is if you in, if people enforce it. Got to be enforcement. That's yeah. right. Life in prison. Yeah, that sounds pretty awful. Yeah. Thanks, Jen, for that science news. I'm also glad that people are getting uh, enforced on. Yeah. Punished. Because they are serial killers. It's true. And they need to go to prison. Agreed. Like, if you do something that awful, mm-hmm. I mean, I get it that there's people in desperate situations and maybe they don't know. Right. But once they get in trouble and even go to prison for it like this guy did. Yeah. And continue to do it when they got out. Then, yeah, I agree. Done deal. Agreed. Yeah. So anyway. Yes, Jen. I'm ready to hear your story. I know you had like... I'm telling a hundred pages of notes and you had to cut it back, so... Yeah. Seems like... uh... I had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of notes. (laughs) A lot of notes. A lot of notes. I'm excited. And I did cut it back... A lot. So I'm just going to start this out with um, Lacey Smith wrote to us. Okay. Pretty long time ago. I'm actually not, I don't remember when Lacey wrote us. I didn't put it in my notes, but she just said, hey, Jen and Megan, I was born and raised in Wyoming and have been listening to your podcast from the beginning. Thank you so much, Lacey. She goes on to say, I just listened to your episode about Yellowstone. Nice. So this is a while back. Great job. Now you just need to do an episode on American bison and tell people to stop trying to take selfies with them at Yellowstone. For real. I mean, how many videos do we have to watch? People still keep doing it. So frightening. Yes. She said, I wanted to send you a link to the Surf Wyoming website where they have a shirt of someone stepping on a geyser. Keep up the great work and don't die out there, Lacey. So, Lacey, we should probably send you our P.O. box if you still want to send us a shirt. (laughs) But we'll have to check that out. That sounds pretty hilarious. Not hilarious, but awful about stepping on a geyser. But I could see a shirt. Yeah, the shirt would be hilarious. Yeah, with like a surfboard and stuff. Yes. Surf Wyoming. That's funny. That is pretty good. All right. So, yeah, today we're going to talk about the American bison, Jen. Now I know why you had so many notes. Are you stoked? I'm stoked. So many notes. Yeah. We're going to start out with the 2022 attack, the first of the year. 2022 attack. (laughs) It's like we're just jumping right in. Just jumping right in. This is a 25-year-old woman. She was gored by a bison in Yellowstone National Park after approaching the animal too closely, park officials said in a statement earlier this week. The woman came within 10 feet of the bison as it neared a boardwalk at Black Sand Basin, just north of Old Faithful, and the animal tossed her 10 feet in the air. I think I remember hearing or reading about this. Yes. The woman suffered a, quote, puncture wound and other injuries Mm -hmm. and was transported to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center. Though her condition is unknown, I guess at the time of this, Mm -hmm. her condition was unknown. Her injuries appeared to be non-life-threatening, but 
there were a bunch of news outlets that reported that she died. Oh, no. Like, I think NBC News might have been one of the first ones that reported that she died. And then it got kind of like pushed through other things. So a lot of the articles that I read about were like, 25-year-old woman dies, you know, but she didn't die. I was like, did she, so did she die? <laughs> no, she didn't. She didn't die. There was a hospital person who told, this is from eastidahonews.com, that the hospital, quote, had no recent patient death as a result of the injuries being described in the NBC report. So I guess there were some corrections that were issued, but some of the titles that you search for still come up as though she were dead. Wow. Pretty awful. Well, good she's okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, getting gored. Just the word. That always no, makes me you. think of that. What's the run they do? Is it um the running with the bulls? Yeah. Yeah, no thank you. No, no. thank you. I don't I don't get that. That just, just I mean, I think that's for people who are maybe there's like a cultural thing that well, you know we, we should talk about that at some point. That yeah. sounds like a pretty decent We should talk about <laughs> that and uh bullfighting. Matadors. Yeah. I remember we watched something when I was in high school maybe mm -hmm. about it. And I had I had to leave the room. I was that kid because I was so I upset. started crying. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't watch it. And everyone else was like, "What's wrong with her?" And you never cried since. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last time. <laughs> That's it. All right. So park officials said that this is the first reported incident of 2022 of a visitor threatening a bison and the bison responding to the threat by goring the individual. And I just want to point out that phrase real quick. Wait, she threatened a so, bison. She just got too close to it. And the bison considers that threatening. Mm. And so that is how they are explaining it, that she threatened them. And I 100% agree with that kind of language to describe when animals attack, because it puts the onus on the person who shouldn't have been that close. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that she deserved anything. Oh, yeah. Whatever. I'm just trying to say that she didn't pay attention to the warnings. And there are a lot. There are a lot of things that National Park Service says. Yellowstone National Park says, like, hey, mm -hmm. you need to be this far away, blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about those later. But, you know, she didn't adhere to that. She was within, like, 10 feet. That's way too close. That is way too close. And she might have even said something bad about its mom. Maybe. You don't know. Yeah. She could have. She might have. <laughs> So less than a month after this first incident of the year, which was in June, early June, June 27th and 29th, there were two more reported. One, this is kind of sad, was a 71-year-old woman from Pennsylvania who was gored by a bull bison near Storm Point at Yellowstone Lake. She received non-life-threatening injuries, so that's great. She was taken to a hospital. And then two days earlier, on June 27th, another bull charged at a 34-year-old man from Colorado who was walking with his family on a boardwalk near the giant geyser at Old Faithful. He ended up having some injuries to his arm and then was also taken to the hospital. In the article, it says, taken to hospital, because I read it from a Mirror UK article. Yeah. They never say that. Why is that? I don't know. Why is it just to hospital? I want to know. But Can I, somebody tell us? It sounds really posh, right? Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I mm -hmm. just don't, I don't understand. And also they say mini break. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about that one day. <laughs> But the guy was just on the boardwalk. Like, he was mm -hmm. not doing anything threatening. Because I don't know if if either the 71-year-old woman or the man didn't realize the bison were there or what was going on. Probably the boardwalk gave him a sense of, I'm assuming this, there was no interview with him. Right. A sense of, like, security. But bison are free-roaming in Yellowstone. They don't understand no boardwalks. Fences. They don't understand boardwalks. They're just like doing their thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Yellowstone makes a point of saying like, hey, you got to be aware of elk, bison, bear, all that stuff. They're mm -hmm. everywhere. 
be aware of your surroundings. So it's possible that he just didn't see the bison or I'm not sure, but he did get injured. They both were okay. According to the NPS, the National Park Service, there is typically at least one incident every year of someone being, quote unquote, attacked by a bison. Mm. During these attacks, you know, average of one a year, bison commonly charge at people and gore them with their horns before throwing them into the air with their powerful neck muscles. So that's a pretty typical, like what will happen. It's like the gore and then the lift up. Yeah, like you know, get the hell the out action. of here. Uh, there are a lot of videos mm-hmm. that you can go online and watch. I don't really like to watch that. No. Particular. It's frightening. It's not the great. It's not that that great. Surprisingly, though, the attacks mostly are not fatal. Because they don't go back and like stomp on them. Because, yeah, they're. they're do or do they? No, no, no. They okay. don't. Yeah, it's typically just the one attack. And then people have like either run away or someone, you know, the bison has gone away. And they're not going to try and eat anybody because they're herbivores. They don't want to eat people. Gross. They just want you out of their way. They just want so you they gone. they picked you up, tossed you to the side. It's like how I feel on. in like rush hour traffic. Right. I just want to go through like. If only you had like way. a forklift. Yeah. Yeah. A 2,000 pound <laughs> bison with me. Um, so the highest number of attacks that have ever occurred were between 1983 and 85 when 33 people were injured in uh, that time period. So two years. I have a lot of questions about that. What's that? The 80s? I mean, was it the hair? Was it? <laughs> it was just the aquanet. The neon color. It, it was a lot. It was. Well, what? What's what who, got them stirred up? I wonder. Who knows? Maybe it was like the National Park Service was giving out like free passes or something, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Yeah, let's go to the outdoors." You know, let's go yellow. They were like moonwalking on the boardwalk. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Frequently occurring bison attacks have also been documented in other parks, such as Antelope Island State Park in Utah, where one individual was involved in two separate attacks in just three months Come apart on. in 2019. Is that bad luck or did they? Right. Mm. Are they just trying to? I didn't find the story on that. I didn't I really search for it so much. Story. But yeah, it's an interesting huh. idea of like, how do you get attacked twice? Yeah. Like when, how do you not learn the lesson or were they just like purely innocent? Right. Yeah. Maybe they just thought that bison, they don't strike the same place twice, right? like lightning, but that's not true. It's not true. We Which all we know learned you in get... our lightning episode. Come on, I can listen to that. But I'm... <laughs> Good times. <laughs> A little plug. All right. So let's talk about basic bison info. I'm ready. I love the basic info section. It's always fun. Before we start on like their information, let's talk a little bit about the difference between buffalo and bison. Oh, let's do. Yeah. So both are large horned ox-like animals. They both belong to the Bovidae family. There are two kinds of bison, the American bison, who we're going to talk about today, and the European bison, and two forms of buffalo, the water buffalo and the cape buffalo. And I know here in Guam, we have the water buffalo. Which they like, they call carabao. Carabao, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I always try to remember that it's carabao, not caribou, because that would be weird. Just Spanish influence. <sighs> Good times. In order to correctly ID... Between buffalo and bison, you will need to look for the three H's, Jen. There's home, hump, and horns. I can see your face from here, and it's making me laugh. Okay, so I'm I'm automatically going to like a Black Eyed Peas song. 100%. Okay, continue. (laughs) So home first. Buffalo are indigenous to South Asia. Those are the water buffalo in Africa, the Cape buffalo. And bison are found in North America and parts of Europe, right? The American uh, bison and the European bison. Right, right. Humps next. Lovely lady humps. Mm -hmm. Bison have a large hump at one of the shoulders while buffalo don't. 
the big okay, thing. Got it. The hump can function as a plow. So this is from way back when they were surviving like the Ice Age. They use that part of their back to actually plow through the snow during wintertime. So I guess head down. Head down, just plowing through the snow. Wow. Yeah, a little snowplow. Huh. It can also absorb the rutting behavior of males in the mating season, like when they're smacking each other in the head. Right. Rutting, being rutters. Horns are last. Buffalo tend to have large horns. Some have more than six feet or 1.8 meters long with the very pronounced arcs or like swoopies in their horns. That's a yeah. technical term, swoopies. Swoopies, yes. And then the horns of bison are much shorter and sharper. I like to think of them as little devil horns. Gores. There's a little, yeah. Because they gore. They gore. Yeah. Lastly, if you aren't sure, if you've already looked at all of those things and you're still like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, bison also have thick beards. I read this one article that was like, <laughs> bison are the hipsters of the bison and buffalo. And I was like, okay, that's And stupid. they look really judgy. Super judgy. And they, they brew some amazing beer. And they eat a lot of avocado toast <laughs> all the time. Saying. Everything seasoning on it. I just pictured them with some skinny jeans. 100%. So buffalo are beardless. Bison have the beards. They wear the skinny jeans. Buffalo don't have any beards. So why do Americans still refer to bison as buffalo? Seriously. It's a thing. Why? Uh, well, buffalo is derived from the French boeuf. <laughs> like a biff. Here we go. <laughs> it was a name given to bison when French fur trappers first came over to America in the early 1600s. They saw bison. The closest thing they knew to that were what they called boeuf, which are African and Asian buffalo. Okay. So in their minds, they were like, oh, this is just their version and of those Everyone things. was like bison. They're like boeuf. Bison. Boeuf. <laughs> uh, so Damn yeah, it's it, like stuck around. <laughs> So now, yeah, buffalo. But the Lakota, they were the tribe that used or moved around with the herds of bison the most. And they are sometimes referred to as Buffalo Nation. They call the bison Tatanka. I think I'm saying that right. I'm basing it off of a couple things, one of which is Dances with Wolves, because I love that movie. So I haven't seen much. that since I had 80s big hair. Kevin Costner. I don't know. When did that movie come out? Tears. 90s? I yeah. Right? 90s. I don't know. Late 80s, early 90s? Mm-hmm. So good. But we'll talk more about the history of bison in indigenous tribes. It's super well known, but we will get there in a little bit. Another word that the Lakota use for bison is pte. I think I'm saying that right. P-T-E. In fact, the phrase Buffalo Nation in Lakota is pte oyate. Cool. Yeah. So I probably effed all of that up. So My who apologies. came up with bison? Oh, sorry. <sighs> <laughs> I know the buffalo and then the, the end, where, who named it? Bison? Scientists. So the, before, well, be, it had to be before. It had to be in some kind of taxonomic thing. Before the, was it like Lewis and Clark? I was like somebody before the French came over. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm just curious. You're killing me, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I did not see anything about where bison came from. But I will say that the scientific name for American bison is bison bison. So I'm Carl. assuming that. Yeah, Carl Linnaeus. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. Good okay. old Carl. Good old Carl. We'll blame it on him. Yeah. I mean, because they're in the same family as Buffalo, you would think, wouldn't they all kind of have the same general name? But I guess they're not similar at enough to have the same, you know, like all of them are bison or all of them are buffalo. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I'm glad I cleared that up for you. Well, because it's confusing because of like Buffalo Bill and they mm -hmm. make. When I grew up was buffalo this well, or buffalo that. Buffalo uh, wings. Yes. And even a lot of indigenous tribes call them buffalo. Yeah. It's it's still a thing. Yeah, it's still a thing. So when 
Yeah, when I was younger, I thought there was a difference. Right. Although I never ate buffalo wings <laughs> because you my dad they were buffalo told wings? me they actually were clipped off of baby buffaloes oh when they my were God. small. That's hilarious. And I was like, I will never eat that. He thought he was being really funny, but that's it just, traumatizing. It traumatized me. <laughs> I was like, they do that to buffaloes. I'm going to tell my son that next time we go eat wings. <laughs> It's happening. To this day, I'm like, no, nope, I'm good. I just, I don't know. It's like, it's stuck. It's over. <laughs> it's stuck. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the Lakota people lived as nomads. Like I said, we're going to talk more about this, but they followed the herds of bison and hunted them whenever they needed to. They used all of the parts of the bison and the bison played and continue to play to this day an important spiritual role in Lakota life, appearing in many oral histories and spiritual narratives. So, yeah, there's a long and storied history between the Lakota and there are some other Plains tribes and the bison. It's like a big deal. The buffalo, if you will. Right. I'll use buffalo and bison interchangeably today because it is used interchangeably. So if I say it one way or another, just know that I'm talking about the American bison, 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 bison. Right. (laughs) Buffalo, buffalo, buffalo. Yeah. All the things. Bison were once abundant in the American landscape. Their natural range extended from Canada to Mexico and from New York to Oregon freaking far. Mm-hmm. In fact, they were named the U.S. National Mammal in 2016. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I also did not know that. They are a keystone species and, of course, a very charismatic species. Scientists and historians estimate that there were at least 30 billion bison roaming the country before Euro-American settlement of the West. And who? The colonizers. Yes. Yes. And actually, I read in a couple different places that it was up to 60 million. Yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they're the American bison, bison, bison. They're mammals, herbivores. The group name's super easy, herd. There's no special group name for them. So sorry, Sad. you guys. At least according to National Geographic We could make Kids, one up. We could. I know. Like, what would be the what, for a group of, like, bearded hipsters? <laughs> I'm going to have to think on that. <laughs> that's, a, that's Somebody throw something out at us. We need it. Yeah. Average lifespan in the wild is 12 to 20 years. So there's a range there. Their head and body can be 7 to 11.5 feet long. Uh, But males are like six foot, like from shoulder to ground. Yeah. And then their tail is about 20 to 23 inches long. Okay. Uh, They can weigh anywhere from 930 to 2,200 pounds. And the largest recorded is something like 2,500 pounds. That's crazy. That's a big. Could you imagine that much weight just lifting you in the air? Nope. That's definitely like a you're flying like Peter Pan moment. I'm flying, you know, but like no happy thoughts. No happy (laughs) thoughts because you're like, I was gored. Yeah. Bison are the heaviest land animals in North America. Yep. I did not believe that. that. But they can run at speeds of up to 40 miles an hour. That's three times faster than an average human. So you know that I'm definitely getting gored. I don't know if (laughs) you're going to be running faster than me. This is another situation of like... Run faster, you're a friend. But we'll, we'll talk about what you should do when, like, if an attack is imminent. Yeah. And run is not one of those things. You're not outrunning them. No, it's not happening. Yeah. They also have, I did not know this, a vertical leap of six feet. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> they can jump in the air six feet. That's cartoonish. It is. I can't picture that. I just imagine them Is being... there a video of that? Can we watch that? Is, yeah. Is there something that I want to see this? Six feet? You can definitely see them jumping. I mean, it looks super high when they're like fighting each other, when they're doing their headbutting and stuff. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of girth. Mm-hmm. And I feel like their legs aren't that long. Right. You know? <laughs> so it's very, it does remind me of like an old Looney Tunes yeah. character. What if they were just like frolicking? 
That would be so cute. It would be adorable. If they had some flowers like tucked into their beard. Oh my God. I would love that. That would be adorable. Their horns are like slightly curved. They can grow to be two feet long. Mm -hmm. Females are called cows. Males are called bulls, adult males. They generally live in small separate herds, but they come together in large herds during the summer breeding season. So usually it's like the bachelor group of males herd together and the females with the babies herd in another group. They eat a huge amount of food. Obviously, they're very large. They spend 9 to 11 hours a day foraging, and they eat every day 1.6% of their body mass, which seems like small, but they're like constantly eating. I can understand that. Yeah. (laughs) I spend most of my day foraging. Just grazing. Bison are ruminant, meaning they chew cud. They have a complex digestive system, and they can get their nutrition from hard, dry forage where like other animals can't usually do that. And they have 35 stomachs. And they have 35 stomachs. I didn't look it up, but yeah, I'm sure it's something the same as like cows, like four stomachs or whatever. Yeah. Whatever we said. We were was. wrong, whatever we, we said. I, we were like eight, ten. Three. Two. Yeah. Who knows? And it was something. It's, it's like not, four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they typically roam on average two miles a day, which isn't that many steps if you think about it. Like two Are they miles all 10, day long. 10,000 steps a day? Are they? Do they have a little pedometer? We should start. Somebody. I'm going to write to the National Park Service. Somebody needs to research that. Somebody needs to put a pedometer and just like all the bison. A fit bit on one of them. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be adorable. They don't migrate long distances for winter because they're built for cold weather. And but being like a grazing species, they do migrate. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they're not specifically migrating south for the winter, but they graze. So they're always kind of moving. Yeah. Yeah. When the Lakota followed them, they were nomadic in that the bison moved, you know, a couple miles every day. So once they were out of a certain range, then, you know, everybody in the the tribe would like pack up and move. And the bison are like, damn it. <sighs> They're still here. <laughs> Always following us. Right. In winter, they grow a super thick coat of hair. Like the snow sits on top of it and it never reaches their skin. Does that make sense? Like the snow doesn't reach their skin. It's impenetrable. It's impenetrable. Yes. (laughs) In the spring, bison will lose those winter coats and they do something called wallowing. And I'm like, is this just like feeling sorry for themselves? I don't know. No, but it's where they roll around on the ground and they cover themselves in dirt and mud. And that helps, number one, to remove the winter coat. It also protects them from bug bites. And then they also are spreading their scent for mating time because it's the spring. They're starting to, yeah, they're getting ready. Uh, That behavior also helps the prairie because it churns up soil so new plants can grow in. And then the depressions of the wallow, which they're called wallows, (laughs) they collect water and other animals and plants will then use that water. So it actually, that's part of their keystone species behavior is that it helps create new life in the spring on the prairie. I bet they're seed dispersers too, right? Oh, because for sure. the seeds, when they wallow and then they walk around and maybe yeah. wallow somewhere else or it falls off of them. They move all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That is so cool. Pretty neat. Bison breed in the summer. Males compete by lowering their heads, pawing at the ground, and then they emit a bellow, which can be heard up to three miles away. Ooh. Pretty crazy. Uh, these displays end with massive headbutting, but they typically don't die from their battles. So they just smack heads a bunch until someone gives up. Mm -hmm. So they're not like super aggressive. I mean, they are aggressive, but they're not like, you know, they're going to murder each other. Right. Females gestate for nine and a half months and babies are born in the spring. And the babies are called red dogs because they have reddish fur. And apparently some people thought they look like dogs. 
<laughs> that sounds so like, look at that red dog over there. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? Like, who called him that? That's crazy. Yeah, I was like, because I was looking at a baby bison. I'm like, oh, he just looks like a little cow. Yeah, like a little, just a little baby a little cow. cute red cow. But apparently they're called red dogs. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I did watch this kind of great video from Mark Frazier on YouTube about the American bison. You can just type in his name, Mark Frazier. And I put that link in the show notes. So you guys should go check that out. It's really great. And he's like super appreciative. He does like all these different videos looking at different wildlife that are kind of where he lives. Mm-hmm. And he's just really like grateful to be able to go out and see these things. I, I don't know. people like that. It, it's just so wholesome i just yes i love it i love that and let me just say side note i keep saying show notes and i realized just the other day that like there's just links that we put well no no no. show notes are supposed to be like when you look at our episode on spotify if you keep scrolling like you can open up the actual episode and then you can scroll down you can read like everything that i put in the social media part Mm -hmm. on squarespace i haven't been putting those links because it's like really long oh yeah (laughs) I've just been assuming that everybody goes to our website if they want to look at links. Yeah, I don't think so. That's like not how it works. (laughs) So I'm like trying to decide if I'm going to go back and add all of those to every episode or not. That's like a lot of work. So I would say just go to our website. Just go to our website. Yeah. But it'll be there at the website. Or if you're a patron, they're always on the patron posts. Yeah. So there. Mm -hmm. Be a patron. All right. So let's move on to history. Oh, it's going to be the sad part. It's going to be so sad. American bison have a super well-documented history, and I think that you and I both learned about them growing up in school. Mm-hmm. So maybe this part will be more for like people who didn't have American history but in school. how did we learn it in school? I mean... I feel like I learned it in the context of they were just slot, like massacred. That, yeah. Okay. I, but, yeah, probably. But like the native tribe side of it Uh uh-huh did we learn it this way no i don't think so. i don't think so i don't think i truly learned native american history or culture like the real yeah history until i was in college agreed yeah so the protection and recovery of bison and yellowstone especially is considered one of the greatest triumphs of american conservation yellowstone provides one of the few places where bison live unfenced unprotected from harsh winters or drought or predation so they're just kind of still naturally roaming around and bison are actually i mentioned this before they're leftovers from the ice age they survived and ended up in amazing numbers across their historic range like i said up to like 60 million possibly for thousands of years Indigenous tribes lived in balance with bison. Like I said earlier, the Lakota used every part of the bison and moved with herds as they grazed. And then when the colonizers, that's hard to do when you're talking, uh, (laughs) moved across the American West, they saw like this insane number of bison. And there's this guy, he's a naturalist. His name is William Hornaday. I think I'm saying that right. Who spent a lot of time in the West before and during the height of the bison slaughter massacre Mm -hmm. and he said it would have been as easy to count or to estimate the number of leaves in a forest as to calculate the number of buffaloes living at any given time during the history of the species previous to 1870 wow there was that many that many yeah Yeah. well and i mean that was just the time when everybody did a number on animals like just (sighs) completely wiped out right what was the pigeon the dodo no there's another one there's a certain anyway like all these species it's like sand county almanac yeah oh that they talk about so much of that yeah. yeah by 1884 
there were an estimated 325 wild bison left. How many? 325. From millions to 325. I didn't know it was that low. I know I remember the pictures of the hides stacked up. Mm -hmm. Just hides. Yeah, just hides. It was like a mountain. It's insane. Yeah. Um, I found this website for something called the Buffalo Field Campaign. It's a group funded, I'm sorry, founded by the late Lakota elder Rosalie Little Thunder. And they aim to work with people of all nations to strengthen the tribal voice and management decisions affecting bison. And they say the struggles between Caucasian and Indian, between cattle and bison, and between two strikingly dissimilar ways of life remain alive and strong today. The extirpation of the bison herds in the 19th century and the current harassment and slaughter outside Yellowstone National Park are closely related and fueled by many of the same economic motivations, personal fears, and misunderstandings. So there were a number of reasons why the bison were exterminated, slaughtered, if you will. It was gradual slaughter over time. So it started kind of early on. The Spanish provided horses and guns to southern tribes native tribes who then traded with Plains tribes. And the use of guns and having horses actually made it easier for them to hunt bison. That increased the numbers a little bit. We're not talking about millions of bison. Right. But it like helped them be able to hunt a little bit better. Then European hunters moved westward in the fur or like the hide trade that increased. Mm -hmm. So then it started to look like, oh, well, we want we want to get their hides more. Like there are some specific valuable parts to Westerners coming through that they wanted. Major hunting for the bison began in, in 1800. There was some legislation like the Dawes Act and Homesteading Acts that helped with increasing the hunting. So as people were kind of moving across the landscape and like settling, quote unquote, onto their land, quote unquote, uh, huh. there were more hunting events, like more people moving out there. Those kind of hunting events, especially for the fur or like hide market, we're not talking about subsistence hunting. We're not talking about Lakota hunting, no. where they're using every last part of the bison. We're talking about hunting for valuable parts, especially hides and tongues. I didn't know about the tongue part. Whoa, really? Yeah. So tongues were apparently considered a delicacy, and people would kill bison just for the tongue. What? Yeah. But there's so much meat and everything. The uh, tongue? Just the tongue, yeah. Wow. So following the Civil War, so you're talking about meat, right? Mm -hmm. Following the Civil War, there was this huge demand for beef, like cattle beef, okay, not bison beef, and hides, and then tallow. I'm not sure what tallow is. I feel like I should know that, but I don't. So those demands for beef, hides, whatever, skyrocketed as the country began to rebuild its economy from the Civil War and expand the industrial base. And on top of all of these factors, so all of this is kind of adding up, it turns out that bison hides made for good materials to make belts for machinery, like belts that drive oh, machinery. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so the industrial age is like, oh, we also want a piece of this. Right. So that's even more. Upper and middle class settlers created a massive demand for meat. I don't know if it was that they came from Europe and it was like, wow, we can get all this meat like super cheap. And like it wasn't something that you could get back in Europe really mm -hmm. easily mm -hmm. because now you, there are these like plains everywhere, you know, and they're starting to move out with the cattle. So it's like there's a lot of opportunity to, I guess, eat more meat. Yeah. You know, Americans meat and potatoes. Yeah. So and a lot of people coming over and more demand. Yeah. But also once you put a price on an animal, it's done. So it's over. Yeah. So this uh, demand for meat was so high that cattle ranchers had a really hard time keeping up with it. So that's when they started to actually move out west and use those western plains for cattle grazing. Mm hmm. 
there's a number of reasons why bison are getting slaughtered, right? There's all these different machinery parts, whatever. But the cattle reason is like they didn't want bison to be in the same place as where the cattle were going to be. They wanted to have that land just for the cattle mm-hmm. because that was like the European centric whatever. Right. We're the we're the settlers coming out here. We want beef. We don't want these bison. And then there was the last kind of major reason for the hunting of bison or the slaughter of bison. And this one is way more sinister, I think. I mean, commerce is not that great. Like capitalism Mm -hmm. really messes some stuff up. But this last reason was the U.S. government wanted to disrupt and disband Native American ways of life and make room for settlers. And the best way to do that was to eliminate their food. Oh, gosh. The Buffalo Field Campaign words it in this really great way, quote, the nomadic way of life synchronized with the migrations of the buffalo, deer and elk did not lend itself to the European notion of settlement and private property ownership. The ways of North America's indigenous people flew in the face of white attempts to fence and segregate tracts of land for individual use. Yeah. Wow. Like no appreciation for the culture that was already there. Just like this is how we want to do it. Yeah. This is what we want it to look like. Uh So we're going to fit it to what we want. This, of course, is just the beginning of the idea of creating reservations to mark boundaries and take away land from people living on it for thousands of years. In this conflict, cattlemen, the U.S. Army, bankers and railroads worked together to remove native tribes and buffalo from the landscape. One of the worst ways that this manifested was the buffalo hunt from trains. Have you seen that before? Where people would be on a train and just be shooting buffalo like that are out in the fields where the train was going. So it was just like leaving, different ways to cull. They were different just ways to cull. Them. Yeah. yeah. And just leaving the carcasses to rot. You've yeah. never seen that before? Uh-uh. It's intense. I think I don't like watching those kind of things. Right. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about hunters shooting like hundreds, possibly thousands of buffalo and just, mm-hmm. yeah, leaving them there. So there were some treaties that came out around this time that protected the tribe's rights to hunt in perpetuity. But this is the kicker, because if there were no buffalo left, what are you going to hunt? You just have a piece of paper saying you can hunt these animals. Mm -hmm. It's not giving you rights to any land, but they're not there anymore. So from that same site, quote, the interdependence between Indian and buffalo is exemplified in the beautiful words of John Fire Lame Deer. Quote, the buffalo gave us everything we needed. Without it, we were nothing. Our teepees were made of his skin. His hide was our bed, our blanket, our winter coat. It was our drum throbbing through the night, alive, holy. Out of his skin, we made our water bags. His flesh strengthened us, became flesh of our flesh. Not the smallest part of it was wasted. His stomach, a red-hot stone, dropped into it, became our soup kettle. His horns were our spoons, the bones our knives, our women's awls and needles. Out of his sinews, we made our bowstrings and thread. His ribs were fashioned into sleds for our children. His hoofs became rattles. His mighty skull with a pipe leaning against it was our sacred altar. The name of the greatest of all Sioux was... Tatanka Iotake, Sitting Bull. When you killed off the buffalo, you also killed the Indian, the real, natural, quote, wild Indian. And I'm using the term Indian here because they use it in this site. Yes. In the 1870s, more buffalo were killed than any other decade in history. The three years between 1872, 73, and 74 were the worst, according to one buffalo hunter who based his calculations on firsthand accounts and shipping records. 4.5 million buffalo were slaughtered in that three-year time period alone. It's insane. So on the other side of this, there's this General Phil Sheridan from the U.S. government. In 1881, he wrote, 
If I could learn that every buffalo in the northern herd were killed, I would be glad. The destruction of this herd would do more to keep Indians quiet than anything else that could happen. Since the destruction of the southern herd, which formerly roamed from Texas to the Platte, the Indians in that section have given us no trouble. If the Secretary of the Interior will authorize me to protect all kinds of game other than buffalo, in the far west, I will engage to do so in the best of my ability. And that is why the bison today are goring people. <laughs> they're thinking of that guy right they're there. thinking of that guy right there. It's passed down from generation to generation. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah, their ancestors were like this guy. Right. <laughs> so in Yellowstone, after all of this, right, I had said like total in their range, there was what, like 325, something like that. Mm -hmm. In Yellowstone, this there's a remote valley in Yellowstone, 23 bison survived. That's it, 23. Today, that same herd is 4,000 strong, which is great. Mm -hmm. Much better numbers. It was never domesticated or interbred with cattle, which some herds have been over time. So this herd that's in Yellowstone is very special. It's considered a vital population with genetic purity. And scientists and conservationists are like super excited about that, this pure herd. But Kelly Stoner, who heads up the bison program at the Wildlife Conservation Society, said the issue is more complicated among tribal groups. So mm -hmm. not all tribal groups feel the same way about this. Kelly says, you'll find that amongst Native Americans, the predominant attitude is if it looks like a buffalo and smells like a buffalo, it's a buffalo. The deep personal relationship between Native Americans and the buffalo exists and is relevant and important whether or not a particular animal has 8% cattle genes or not. But there's a reservation called the Fort Peck Reservation. They actually look at this particular herd and they say, actually, this is a cultural herd. This is significant. Mm -hmm. Many tribes, including Fort Peck Reservation, they already have what are called commercial herds. So they're used for economic purposes. But in 2007, Fort Peck started to have this conservation with the Yellowstone like National Park Service about building this cultural herd and for them to get some of the cultural herd and start building up those populations. But there was a bunch of pushback from cattle ranchers because cattle ranchers. They don't want to give up any land or have it impede on their So there's kind of like that a little bit, a little yeah. bit of that. There's also this disease. We'll talk about it in a little bit. It's called a uh, brucellosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. There's a worry that if moved, those mo bison, if they were moved from Yellowstone, they would infect cattle populations with this brucellosis. For six years, the tribes had to battle anti-bison legislation from the Montana Congress in legal battles. The biggest fight was in Montana. This case went all the way to the Montana Supreme Court and the tribes won unanimously. So that's really good. Quote, the biggest roadblock to the politics is in Montana, said Robert Magnan, director of the Fort Peck Tribes Fish and Game Department and the Buffalo Program. They don't understand what we're trying to do out here. They're like basically going to court saying, this is cultural heritage for us. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have restrictions on this because this is our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So over time, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but the first Yellowstone bison from that population finally arrived to Fort Peck in 2012, around 60 animals in all. There was a huge celebration. Many, many people from the community came out. It was just thrilling to see. Two years after their arrival, Magnan said that the bison had already begun to rejuvenate the land. So as soon as they're bringing in these like cultural bison, they're letting them roam. It's like mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff that's good. Is coming about. We've seen the ecosystem revive. Grassland birds have returned. Native grasses are thriving. We welcome and look forward to the buffalo's continued benefits to our tribal lands. In 2014, 13 tribal nations representing eight reservations, both in the U.S. and Canada, they signed what's called a Buffalo Treaty. The treaty outlined the importance of bringing back free roaming bison to both the U.S. and Canada. 
quote, we used to always have an empty chair for the buffalo, for the spirit of the buffalo in our talking circles, said Little Bear, who facilitated the dialogues. It's hard to explain, but the buffalo was basically asking us, you know, I've been gone for 150 years. Why do you want me to come back? The concern was the young people hear only stories. They hear the songs, they see the ceremonies, but they don't see the buffalo out there. So it's like a little bit of, I guess, positive news. Okay. Coming out of all this. Yeah. I did pull some information about this transfer of bison from Yellowstone to the tribes from the National Park Service site, because there are kind of two sides to the story, right? There's like mm-hmm. the native tribes have been fighting for this. Uh, when I read it off of the Buffalo Field, the site I told you about earlier, that's made up of native peoples kind of like advocating for the buffalo, mm-hmm. like their opinion of the National Park Service is not the greatest. So I kind of went to look at what is this program that they're talking about, this transfer program. And so the National Park Service says Native American tribes, nonprofits and the U.S. government has brought North America's population to 30,000 bison living in public and private herds and 400,000 animals as livestock. So there's a huge increase from what it used to be. Yeah. Court mediated settlement, which I think is we're talking about the Montana court Mm -hmm. settlement reached in 2000, created the Interagency Bison Management Plan, the IBMP, which established a cooperative effort to manage bison in and around Yellowstone. Eight groups, including state and federal agencies and tribal nations, play a role in making decisions about Yellowstone bison. Because Montana law limits the areas bison can move outside the park, and because bison outside the park are valued By state and tribal hunters and others, managing bison is a balancing act between having enough bison to support a healthy population and some migrations out of the park, but not too large a population that it could lead to mass migrations and cause brucellosis transmission to livestock, harm people, or damage private property. Okay. So it's like very government-y, federal government, you know, we're conserving, but we're being like trying to be smart about it, the ecosystem, blah, blah, blah. Trying to make everybody happy. Right. Because there are so many sides to this. Yeah. Right? Part of me wants to be like, there shouldn't be any sides to this. There should be one side, mm-hmm. and that should be the tribal side. The tribes and what they yeah. want to do. On the other hand, I'm also like, I mean, I get it. Well, it's the same as in a lot of places. I mean, the land is not the same. Yeah. Everything's changed. There's so. a lot of... And how can you erase... Part of me is like, you need. we need to talk more about the awful things, that are the atrocities that happened. And there needs to be reparations and there should be, you know, more conversation. It makes me so happy that they won their battle in court. Mm-hmm. You there know, should be more land given back. Yes. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Currently, the park's bison population in Yellowstone is managed through three ways. Number one, they have tribal hunts and state hunts outside of Yellowstone's boundaries. They capture and transfer to tribes for shipment to slaughter. And they capture for brucellosis testing and transfer to tribes to start their own bison herds. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading through this website, it felt like the National Park Service was trying to say, we agree with these three things, but we want to do less slaughter. Like we want to figure out a way to provide more bison to tribes. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about why the, there are some issues with that. So in 2018, Yellowstone, along with federal and state partners and tribal nations, started the Bison Conservation Transfer Program, so it has a name, Mm -hmm. BCTP, to identify migrating bison that do not have brucellosis and transfer them to new areas as an alternative to sending them to slaughter, which is great. 
Since 2019, 182 bison have been transferred to the Sioux tribes of the Fort Peck Indian Reservation. Of those, roughly 140 were transferred to the Intertribal Buffalo Council and given to about 20 other member tribes across North America. That's been the largest transfer of Yellowstone bison among the Native American tribes in history, which is pretty freaking cool. Mm -hmm. They say, we want to send Yellowstone bison to other conservation areas instead of slaughter. They spent a lot of time on the website really promoting that idea. But they also support hunting opportunities outside of the park to cull that increasing population that's moving off of Yellowstone. Right now, most hunting occurs adjacent to the park boundary, which prohibits bison from moving further, like I just said. They're currently working on an EIS, an environmental impact statement, because they want to redo the management plan for bison, the bison management plan. The last one was in 2000. But since that time, there have been changes, you know, in policy. There's new information, new scientific information that's out there. So they want to make some changes to that current plan and make something new. And they want to work with the tribes to get that done. When those first bison were moved over in 2019, there is this quote from Lois Red Elk, who's a member of the Fort Peck Sioux. They said, I long for that time when Tatanka Sinkun, buffalo spirit as ancestor, mingled with mine. Then yesterday it came. It came in the form of trucks and trailers carrying sacred beings into the realm of our higher planes. That made me a little bit verklempt. But sort of what I'm hearing, it's finally happening. Yeah. But when you have management plans and EISs and there's so much bureaucracy and then every agency has to review it and then it has to go through the whole, I mean, all the things, the red tape, all the things, all the red tape. It's just like, come on already. Yes. And actually, I'm going to talk about the brucellosis red tape here in a minute. Yeah, I want that's a whole nother level. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear what that is. Yeah, I can understand the frustration of these people who are like. We're waiting and waiting and waiting and getting more and more angry. Like, I get that site. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, I do, too. They're like, we just want. We I just... heard somebody recently say it's all part of the sausage making. <laughs> <laughs> no. As a, as referencing, like, all the things you have to do to yeah. make, like, the to parts the that sausage. go into it. Yeah. I just want to make a PSA right now that I think that's gross. And I don't think anybody <laughs> should say that ever. <laughs> Take it out of your like business vernacular. Yes. Like, I mean, there's it. a lot of fun ones. Yeah, there are. We try to keep track of them, all the ones we hear. We should start a drinking game, honestly. <laughs> For just real. the bureaucracy. Yeah. Language. Just all yeah. the language. Get shovel ready. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. We'll stop there, but please <laughs> so let's many. not use that sausage making one. <laughs> The end. Period. I'll just say it. I'll just say hot dogs. <laughs> it's the hot dog making factory. The spam making. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. That's kind of the basics behind this bison transfer program. It's like going from this awful time in history, trying to do some conservation, now getting some of that done. But it's you know only been like geez, so many years. It takes forever. Forever. Yes. Um. All right. But I did read this other kind of interesting article. It highlights the importance of historic coexistence of bison and tribal peoples. And this is from Inside Science. It starts out, in 1870, there were at least 10 million bison in the southern herd of the North American Plains. So that's like a smaller partial herd. Fewer than 20 years ago, only 500 wild animals remained. I don't know if their numbers are correct here, but moving on. It's fine. Uh, That part of the story, the bloody removal of the animals for hides, meat, and to devastate Native American communities is well known. We have countless movies, books, and ballads about the dust-strewn slaughter. What hasn't been so well studied is the story of what happened next to the people involved. 
That's the focus of a new report presented at the American Economic Association meeting in January. You can imagine what would happen to certain sections of the American economy if oil disappeared and people had no alternative, said Donna Fear, an economist at the University of Victoria, Canada. Now, imagine these people couldn't migrate to other economic activities and were kept in certain locations for 50 years. It would be a cultural and economic bomb that would continue for decades. Hmm. Before the bison disappeared, the native people living in the plains were among the tallest in the world. They didn't diversify their work from a single resource, the researchers said, because the bison pretty much supplied them with everything they needed. They were at least as well off as European colonists at the time, researchers have argued. The idea of poverty coincides with the reservation error, which happened after the slaughter of bison. In just a generation, the height of the Native American people, like their physical height, who depended on the bison dropped by an inch or more as measured by physical anthropologist Franz Boas, who collected data on the height, gender, and age of over 15,000 Native Americans between 1889 and 1919. Children born after the slaughter were up to two inches shorter in adulthood than those born before the slaughter, the researchers found. Their population declined, obviously. Wow, and what the crazy. Yeah. And what the researchers called a kind of cultural depression settled on bison-dependent groups. Fear pointed out that the drop in height wasn't as steep for women as it was for men, perhaps because traditional women's skills like clothing, making clothing, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. were more adaptable to new locations and new animals. But men's traditional skills could only have transferred to cattle ranching, but there were government regulations that forced them onto reservations and didn't allow them to have cattle. So the researchers found that even today, formerly bison-dependent societies have between 20 to 40 percent less income per capita than the average Native American nation. So between Native American tribes, if they were more bison-dependent, they have a lower economic status. Wow. Yeah. Scientists and archaeologists want to look even further back. So they're talking about wanting to go, you know, even before the bison people became bison people, Uh right, as they like kind of moved up through North America. Mm. They want to look back to see, was it genes or the bison that had the effect in terms of the height, Uh right? This is specifically the height. Well, I wonder if it's, I mean, because well, you said there wasn't much change in women, but I wonder there must have been a change. It might not have been a height thing, though. It could have been something else. Something else, yeah. Because um, it sounds like it's not only the livelihood, but it's the what they were eating, mm-hmm. like their meal source, nutrition, of the other nutrition. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, their <no>. meal, <laughs> the food they put in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah, sorry, yeah. I didn't know how to yeah, say it, but yeah. So it's the actual nutrition that they weren't getting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a question about that. They, they go on to say, like, the Plains tribes were tall, but was it bison that made them tall or was it from their gene pool of taller people or what was it? So they're going to start looking at archaeological data from those groups uh, before and after they came to be like Plains people or on a bison diet. And then they can be able to say, like, OK, it was genes or it was nutrition or it was like because of the bison slaughter or whatever. Right. Fear pointed out that there were a lot of restrictions on Native Americans around this time. Native people didn't gain full citizenship in the U.S. until 1924. Society viewed them as an enemy, she said. Taking away bison from people dependent on the animals drove them to shorter bodies and poorer lives. Ugh. Yeah. Freaking heartbreaking. It is. God. Not cool. People suck. Let's talk about brucellosis. It is a non-native bacterial disease that induces abortions in pregnant cattle, elk, and bison. If pregnant elk, cattle, bison Mm -hmm. get this bacterial infection, then if they're pregnant, it will abort the baby. Okay. Like naturally. It's a bacteria. It's a bacterium. 
That elk, cattle, elk, bison, cattle. Yeah. It sounds like you're naming an animal. <laughs> and I just pictured it in my brain. Cattle, elk, bison. <laughs> That's so yeah. great. Elk, cattle, bison. Yeah. So, yeah. So cattle actually brought brucellosis with them. They were uh, the colonizer. They were colonizer cattle, cattle. bacteria. They are colonizer cattle. In the early 1900s, they transmitted it to local wildlife populations. Thanks so much. And then, and then once the wildlife had it, then the branchers didn't want them to come back with it. Yes. Amazing. So it's a big concern to cattle ranchers that this disease from now wild populations will get back into the cattle population. I don't Ugh. think they're saying back into. I think they just think it comes from these wild populations. But who brought it? Yeah, they brought the boobo with them from they Europe. The boobo. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag boobo. <laughs> oh, it's not funny. Sorry, I was funny. reading this whole thing. That was another article I read was about bubonic plague Jesus. and how they they're doing this study on how people they're looking at people's genes mm-hmm. now and people from that had it, yeah, like died from it, you know, way back, yeah, um, and that carried it but didn't die, and then before it was even there. To see now what people, because they think like ancestors of people who survived it. Right. It's very interesting. And they're saying people with the strongest genes against boo-boo, <laughs> bubonic plague, <laughs> yeah. was, because it was bacterial as well, right. is that now those people are more susceptible to Crohn's and oh. rheumatic arthritis. Arthritis. Yeah. Rheumatoid. Sorry. Rheumatoid arthritis. Right. Rheumatoid yeah. arthritis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, that was another one of the science newsies I was flipping through. That's fun. Or reading. Hashtag boobo. Hashtag boobo. Hashtag buffalo boobo. Buffalo boobo. Brought over by the cattles. And it's not funny, but it's just ironic. Yeah. No, hell. super ironic. Yeah. Well, it's such a it's such a colonizer thing, too. It is. It right? is. Right? Like. Freaking colonizers. Ridiculous. Our ancestors. Come jerks. on, you guys. So, yeah, this argument about brucellosis coming from a wild population, it's like a big talking point for ranchers for cattle ranchers, right? Uh-huh. But in actuality, it's super hard for cattle to catch it. Theoretically, it is possible because they've done research in a lab and they've said, oh, it's possible that cattle uh-huh. can get it. But it's passed through the placenta. So the only actual way it could get to a cattle is if there was a calf from a bison or elk that had been aborted, right? It's uh-huh. like being aborted, whatever, um, because it was infected. Then the cattle would have to be in the same field and walk over to that aborted calf and decide to lick the placenta. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> so it's not super likely. Like, there are a lot of arguments for, like, why are we even talking about this? It's not that likely. Well, and also I'm wondering, could you treat, I mean, if it's bacterial, so uh, could you yeah. dart them or treat? I'll get to that. That's, okay. Yeah, not it's the like greatest. A whole thing. It's a whole thing. So the oh. biggest reason for the slaughter of bison in Yellowstone is the fear that bison are going to spill over into these current ranges of these cattle. They're going to be sharing fields, whatever. Blasting bacterial <laughs> placenta everywhere. Yes, and they're going to infect cattle. So that is the driver for the culls of the herds of bison today. And like I mentioned, elk also carry the disease, but they are not slaughtered in the same way because they're seen as less of a risk. So Montana law prohibits the live transfer of Yellowstone bison to new areas unless they are first certified as brucellosis-free. To determine if bison have brucellosis or not, that takes a lot of time. I read one article that was like a few months, Mm -hmm. but in actuality, what Yellowstone does takes three years. So it costs a lot of money, a lot of resources 
Currently, the method of testing takes place. They put them in fenced quarantine pastures with similarly aged animals, and then they repeatedly test them for the first two years on Yellowstone property. Then after that, if they're going to be transferring to, say, like Fort Peck, they're going to transfer them there. Then they got to stay in that kind of quarantine fenced area and be tested again for another year and be brucellosis free in both places for three years. Wow, that's some heavy quarantining right there. Yeah. So that's like another level of red tape we're talking about. It just <laughs> seems like you'd be able to test them. Yeah, you would think. Like a nasal swab. Something. It's like, come here, let me just put this in your nose. <laughs> right. Don't gore me. So from 2005 to 2012, the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, or APHIS, developed and verified procedures for identifying Yellowstone bison that don't have brucellosis. I guess Yellowstone and Fort Peck and the Sioux tribes, the state of Montana and APHIS, all apparently, I don't know if I'm going to say work together to make this, these mm -hmm. like implement these procedures, but there's like some level of agreement across all of these folks in like, okay, fine, we'll do it this way. So about 60% of adult female bison in Yellowstone test positive for exposure to the brucella bacteria. However, testing positive for exposure does not mean that an animal is going to transmit the disease. For example, anybody who received a smallpox immunization will test positive for smallpox antibodies, but they're not infected with the disease and they're not going to transmit it. Mm -hmm. um, the number of infectious female bison that could transmit live bacteria varies from 10 to 15 percent of the population, but there have been no documented cases of bison transmitting brucellosis directly to cattle. Currently, there is no vaccine that is 100 percent effective against brucellosis. So that's one of the big problems. Apparently, there's also been a number of cases where elk have transmitted brucellosis to cattle. So I don't know. I'm not trying to say they should go cull elk, but I'm just saying, why are you guys being so mean to the buffalo, the bisons? Well, and then are they eating the placenta of the of the elk? I I mean, maybe. I don't know. Why would they do that? Why because would they do that, right? They Unless they, it was like just, in the grass. Just Yeah. And they're like eating the grass. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> oh, my God. That. <laughs> The grass has placenta on it. That's disgusting. Why are you eating that? Bessie, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Local cattle operations vaccinate their animals with the best available vaccines, but it doesn't eliminate the potential for brucellosis infection from the wild. The lack of the effective vaccine also makes it more difficult to eliminate or suppress the disease in wild bison. So I guess park officials studied that back in 2014. I don't know if they've done a newer study to figure out, you know, like, are there better ways of managing this or what? Side note, people can get brucellosis if they come in contact with infected animals or animal products containing the bacteria. The most common way to be infected is by eating or drinking unpasteurized slash raw dairy products. Okay. Brucellosis cannot be contracted by eating cooked meat from an infected animal. Let me just say that. What does it do to a person? The same thing? I think it's just a bacterial dealio infection. Yeah. yeah. But let me just say that... My sister lives in Pennsylvania, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I went to visit her once, like, a long time ago, 2014, actually. And she would, I'm not going to say where she is in Pennsylvania, because apparently you can get arrested for this, but she would get raw <laughs> oh, milk. God. There's, like, dairy farmers who will give you raw milk. Uh -huh. um, and I had some, and it was so good. I mean, you know, everybody knows I have a milk issue. I have a milk issue. Some people think it's disgusting. Whatever. I don't care. I love it. This milk was the freaking best milk I've ever had in my life. But why? But why? It was like did you have like creamy, the full like milk 
mustache yeah. when you drank it. It's like the kind of milk that like it. I don't even know how to describe it. It was like so it's like whipped cream. It was so perfect. Yeah, that's that's wild. It was wild. Huh. Yeah, it was not pasteurized. And I remember and she told go, me you can get in trouble. for that. You can. Yeah, you can. I don't know if you can get arrested. You can definitely get fined. And definitely the person who's providing it will they'll be under some scrutiny. They'll but what probably if you're just at fines. your house and you have a cow and you just drink the milk from your cow and you're like, can I have some milk? And then you just get it and you drink it. I mean, I don't know. Just straight from the teat. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if you I mean, maybe if you just drink it, but if right. you give it to somebody like your I, kids, maybe or anybody, it, yeah, maybe it is like the transfer or whatever. Oh boy. But I don't know. Best milk I ever had. Hey, guys, you know, something hands down. Let us let us know. <laughs> That's interesting. I would have never, I don't think about those things. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of the story, the history, if you will, of the bison, all of the red tape and the things that are going on now. And there's some better stuff happening. But let's move on to something that I read that had more attack information. Bison attacks. We're starting out and ending with bison attacks. That's right. Okay. It's a bison attack (laughs) sandwich. It's a bison attack sandwich. Because you know what? They deserve, you know, to be able to attack. To defend yeah, themselves. they've earned that right. They've earned the right. Yes. And sorry um, to anybody who was innocently yes, attacked. We're not so saying sorry. you deserve it. Just. We're saying. That's their reparations for right now. That they they put up with a lot of shit. For reals. Uh, so I read this paper. It is linked in the show notes. Uh, and it is entitled Bison Goring Injuries, Penetrating and Blunt Trauma. Ooh. Uh, this is. Uh, there's a number of authors. Primary author is Lily Conradi. It says PhD MD FACEP, F A C E P. What is that? F. I don't know. Somebody tell Facil- us. I didn't look it up. Facilitator. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> la 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 la. Uh, this was published in the Journal of Wilderness Medicine in 1994. Uh, this is very similar to that otter paper that I read. It's basically like a literature review of a bunch of medical journals about bison attack that had happened or injuries from bison attack, bison attacks. Multiple. I'm going to read the abstract real quick. Injuries from bison, American buffalo, bison, bison attacks have not previously been reported in the medical literature. This study examines 56 bison caused injuries, including two fatalities from Yellowstone National Park over the past 15 years. Two mechanisms of injury were observed. The first was direct goring by the bison's horn, called hooking, resulting in deep puncture wounds, most often to buttocks or thighs. Abdominal injury, including evisceration, was also seen. Blunt trauma occurred as the victim was shoved or butted by the animal's head or when the victim sustained a rapid deceleration on ground impact after being tossed in the air. Multiple sites and types of fractures, abrasions, and contusions were seen. Um, just so you know, a, f- a facet. Is yeah. a fellow of the American College of Physicians accreditation. Oh, wow. There you go. That's we a know. smart person right there. Yeah. They did a lot of things. Yeah. Yep. So I found this to be really interesting. They did a table mm-hmm. of attacks reported in Yellowstone. I um, love a good table. Yeah. It, they're great. Yeah. This is from 1978 to 1992. In total, there were 56 bison attacks. There was one category for other. It was called just other. And there were two. One was an elk. One was a coyote. Mm-hmm. And then there was another column for bear. How many attacks do you think bear had? Between how many years? Sorry. Uh, 78 to 92. What is bear that? Bear attacks? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, 30? 12. Oh. Yeah. So bison are actually number one at attacking people in Yellowstone. They're all like, 
For sure. Yes. For sure. All right. So I'm going to read you three different cases that I read about. And let me just preemptively say that I read these. They were written in medical terminology. I transcribed them. Oh, wow. Into not medical terminology. Thank you. (laughs) I had to look up some stuff. I was like, I don't even know what this is. Right. Thank you, Google. All right. So case one. This is a 57-year-old female. Um, She was approaching a bison with her group from a sightseeing bus, and she was gored and tossed 10 feet in the air. Mm. She landed on her back and had a large puncture wound to the left upper thigh. She was taken to one hospital initially, and then they had to transfer her to another hospital for surgery. She ended up with fractures of ribs three through eight and something called discoid Telecatus. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I think that this means she had a collapsed lung. When I looked okay. it up, there were okay. like a bunch of different things kind of describing it has to do with the lungs. It feels like one of her lungs collapsed. Okay. So um, she also fractured her pelvis. Ooh. Ouch. And yeah. she had a five centimeter wide by six centimeter deep puncture wound on her left thigh. That was the puncture wound. Ugh. They did. This is the one sentence I left in because it's so insane and I feel like everybody can understand it. Operative exploration of the puncture demonstrated a gouge through fascia, leaving muscle largely intact, but with much uh, devitalized tissue, dirt and debris. Whatever was on those horns just in her body. Gooped in there. Everybody had to take antibiotics. Just FYI. (laughs) In case you weren't sure. uh, IV, just pumping them. All the things. Through the IV. Yeah. With some antibiotics. And some all the things. Some D bursts <laughs> penicillin. Yeah. Case number two. This is a woman who was working at the general store, I think at Yellowstone. She's 76 years old. No. She was leaving for the day and did not see a nearby bison. She was walking out of a dorm. I don't know if it's like she was living at Yellowstone, but like working in the store. Uh-huh. She was walking out of the dorm carrying a load of laundry. No. Yes. She was gored from behind. And thrown several feet, landing on her back and right shoulder. She ended up having a large cut in her left thigh. She also fractured her right scapula, which just makes my back hurt. Mm -hmm. Operative exploration of the lateral thigh gorging wound revealed a 12 centimeter deep avulsion cavity extending superiorly to near the left iliac crest, but well below the greater. I don't know what that means. Basically, I think this is the thing on her thigh. Like it was just a super deep goring. Oh into her gosh. thigh, yeah. 12 this centimeters. This is kind of like, I'm, I'm having some moose episode flashbacks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like also the But moose, one. like, trample you. Yeah. Yeah. They go in for the... They're, they they're, go in for the kill. Yeah, they do. Uh, Bison are like, you, over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, you're moved. Good. <laughs> we can move on now. All right, case number three. A 42-year-old woman approached within 20 feet of a bison when it reportedly charged at her, its horn gorging through jeans along the victim's right thigh and extending upward to the right abdomen. Yeah, <gasps> just, just in, the in your brain. Just, no. Yeah. Uh, the patient's husband, a physician, witnessed the attack and identified small bowel protruding from the abdominal wound. Thank hey. You know what? Sometimes not such a bad thing to marry a doctor. It's true. During transport to nearby Lake Hospital, the patient complained of abdominal and right leg pain. <laughs> I'm like, why do you even include this in the report? No shit. I think in this one, they said that they gave her morphine. I'm like, good. I also would complained want morphine. of an ear infection. I mean, what do you... What do you want? What do you want? 
So yeah, her thigh and abdomen were gorged. Um, it was like four centimeters of her intestines or bowels were sticking out of no. her abdomen. Yeah. Megan. Any centimeter of your bowels outside is not good. Nothing. No bowels outside. Uh, I will say that all three of these people survived. Thank goodness. They walked out of the hospital. I think the longest it took for one of the people was like 10 days. I think that was a pelvis lady was 10 days. She was a little bit older, too. But everybody, I think uh, the 42-year-old woman who had the abdomen part, she was on crutches when she left. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, don't put any pressure on that. Like, yeah. (laughs) Gonna need some time for that one. Yeah. It, like, tore. It tore up her thigh. It was a gore and tore. Gore and tore. That is terrible. Not cool. So the results, 56 cases of injuries from attacks by or direct contact with bison from 1978 through 1992 were identified. Two fatalities occurred during this period. The single previous known fatality from a bison goring was in 1971. So before that, the number of injuries reported per year ranged from 10 in 1983 and 1985 to none in 1979, 1980, and 1981. The average number of incidents per year was 3.73. So there you go. So how many deaths ever? Was it only two? Um, it's like three. So it's like that one three. from 1971, then two within this time period, 78 uh-huh. to 92. And then I haven't heard, I didn't read anything else about any other bison deaths. So it's right. it's possible. I'm assuming that maybe there's something I missed, I'm sure. And we're not, we're only talking about American bison, not European bison. So I don't know about European bison. I didn't look them up. Yeah. Sorry, you guys. 34 victims were male, age range 11 to 70 years old. 19 were female, age range 9 to 76. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to think about a nine-year-old. Yeah, no. No. The sex of three of the persons injured by bison was unknown. Only two of the incidents occurred in winter, both in February. The remaining 54 occurred between May 28 and September 16th. So spring mating season makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Circumstances of the bison attack were most commonly approaching too closely while photographing the animal. Or posing for a photograph with the animal, this behavior was specifically described in 20 cases. Three individuals were gored when they attempted to pet or feed the bison. I'm shaking my head. Just what the what? Come on, guys. I'm going to go pet the bison. No. They look really nice. They're so floofy. They are. Definitely not going to hurt me. I want to know how many vehicles have been damaged by bison. You know, I thought to look that up because that (laughs) I bet that's a pretty big number. That's got to be a huge number. Well, because sometimes Yellowstone has to stop traffic for them to go across the road. And we've seen videos of them. Oh, yeah. Just like going nuts. Yeah. In two cases, harassment of the bison, children throwing stones or playing matador was recorded. In three cases. Playing matador. Yes. I know. Control your children. (laughs) In three cases, the bison was encountered without warning or on a narrow footpath. And in one case, on emerging from a cabin doorway, which I think is a 76-year-old woman. Because she was like coming out. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't see see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although not always recorded in detail, specifically mentioned in six cases, the victim of bison charge or attack had frequently turned to run. This accounts for the predominance of posterior or lateral injuries. Two of the three fatal cases, however, were anterior gorgings from a distance of 185 centimeters, six feet or less. What does that mean? So like two of the three fatal cases, they got hit in the chest in the front. Okay, got you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Most people are turning around, running away, and they get hit in the butt, which is a better scenario. Depends in terms where of where you're going to get gored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would hope it would be a cheek. 
<laughs> yeah, that would not be good. That would I feel like that would just be death, right? Uh, I feel like that's a thing. Like if your colon, that's over. Uh, nope, 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 nope. Terrible. Nope, nope. Let's not think about it. But what were those people doing? Right. That were facing. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I didn't read about the the two deaths. They didn't yeah. put it in here. Um, I think. Oh, I think a little part of one of them is at the bottom. But I, I think I'm going to get to it. But I don't okay. think it was like super detailed. Okay. Goring or hooking occurred, resulting in punctures or lacerations from penetration by the bison horns. Blunt trauma was sustained when the person was butted or shoved. So that's also like they didn't get gored, but they got hit with the head. Now that would um, hurt. Yeah. Or they were tossed into the air by the upright movement of the bison's head, encountering sudden deceleration on impact with the ground. Basically, they just slammed into the ground. I yeah. love how medical things, right? It's like deceleration. Yes, you just slammed into the ground. Gravity, okay? You, yeah. The ground was, you there, landed. was over. Yeah. Uh, the mechanism of injury was unknown in seven cases. There was definitely blunt trauma. There are a number of attacks that resulted in fractures, contusions, and abrasions. The distance into the air that the victim was thrown by the impact from the bison's head was consistently described as 10 feet. <laughs> I think people probably were just like, it was like 10 feet in the air, you know? Right. Yeah. So I don't really know how. But like they would say 20. Yeah. And then they're like, let's put 10. Just say 10. Yeah. Uh, this estimate by witnesses was not actually measured in any incident, but a video recording made in summer of 1991 shows a victim being airborne at least this height. <laughs> On some like VHS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Fatalities. Okay. So these are the two fatalities. There we go. Uh, the 1983 fatality, a 21-year-old French tourist had an anterior abdominal goring involving the liver, spleen, stomach, and diaphragm. Ooh. The victim underwent initial splenectomy and diaphragm repair at Lake Hospital before transport for definite, definitive surgical management in Salt Lake City. He died from septic complications. Mm -hmm. That's sad. In 1989, a 48-year-old man, victim of a bison charge or collision while snowmobiling, sustained a massive head, neck, and chest injury. CPR was performed at the scene, but the victim died within hours at West Yellowstone. The single previously reported fatality from 1971 was a witness death within minutes from an anterior abdominal goring, likely involving the great vessels or heart. So better to get hit from behind, for it sure. It seems like it, yeah. I mean, better to not get hit. But, but yeah. like the snowmobile. Ooh. Well, how did that happen? I mean, it's like yeah. a, I don't know. I'm just picturing like a jousting type situation. Yeah. But only one person has the, the has joust. the joust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So or let's one of the yeah, not a person, but the anyway, bison. You take it. <laughs> I get what mm -hmm. you mean. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what to do when bison are around? This is like how to avoid an attack, a bison attack. Just avoid them. I did watch this one video that was like, if the bison has honed in on you, you know, it was like, <laughs> like, oh, shit. Okay, they like hone in on people. That's crazy. A problem in recent years has been people trying to get closer to bison. It is a problem. Every year you see that. Well, now they're kind of funny, but they're serious. Like, don't take pictures with the bison. Right. People, for the most part, are trying to take photographs for social media. That's a big problem. In 2015, one person who was injured by a bison later admitted they were attempting to take a selfie when the bison attacked them. Selfies. Like, with the bison. They were like, let me go take the selfie with the bison. <laughs> the bison was that, like, I hate selfies. Like, get me out of your selfie. That's a big issue, I feel like, in a lot of these, especially remember the Grand Canyon episode? Oh yeah. How many people fell off? Because they were taking oh, because God, they were taking a so selfie sad. and not paying attention to what they're doing. Agreed. Ooh. bison only attack when they feel threatened they're not trying to eat you 
They don't want to eat you. They don't want they don't want any of that sweet yeah. meat. <laughs> um, garbage meat. Garbage meat. Most commonly that happens when people approach closer than they should. The National Park Service and many other people in like wildlife, whatever wildlife biologists say, stay at least 25 yards, that's 23 meters or 75 feet away from bison to give you an idea of how far that is. That's two school bus lengths, like the big bus. And or you could think of like a tennis court. Fully. I'm like, yeah, just think football field. Just right. Try. Mm -hmm. Try for football field. Watch from a great distance. Yeah. A great distance. Get, get some <clears throat> get some binos. Um, get your binos out <laughs> and just watch from a distance. Thank you. Get a good lens. Yeah. It's okay. Do not run or try to climb a tree. They will catch you. Move Wait. slowly. <laughs> well, they'll catch you running, but how are they going to catch you in the tree? I think they're saying the tree thing because it's going to hit the tree and you're going to fall out. Really, though? I don't know. It's It was in one of the things that I read. I also was like, like are they going to climb the tree? <laughs> uh, but I think it's a matter of like impact, maybe. Oh, okay. Or that you're not going to be able to get up six feet or more before they can before they hit you. Yeah. yeah. They do say to move slowly. Like, OK, so this is the thing that it was like, if the bison hones in on you, move slowly and get something in between you and the bison, like a car or a building <laughs> or a door, like something between you and the bison, a tiny skinny tree. No. Note, bison do not like crowds or mm-hmm. herds of people, if you will. Neither uh, do I. <laughs> agreed. Uh, so if you're in a more populated area and there are bison nearby, they're going to be more stressed out than if, you know, it was just you standing around seeing mm-hmm. them from 25 uh, meters or 75 feet away, yards right. rather. Park rules, the Yellowstone Park rules require visitors to stay, like I said, 75 feet, 75 feet away from large animals, including bison, elk, bighorn sheep, deer, moose and coyotes and 300 feet away from bears and wolves <laughs> just think about that mm-hmm. i'm like let's just say 300 feet from everybody let's do that all the time all the time everywhere excuse me sir could you stand 300 feet away from me 300 feet thank you social distancing <laughs> it's very important i like this the park's website says the safest way to view wildlife is through a telephoto lens a spotting scope or a pair of binoculars there you go park animals are wild and dangerous bison bears and elk have injured and killed people do not approach encircle follow or feed any animal just because it's called a park yeah doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want not cool dudes right so we are to the organization to support Yay! I actually chose two. I was going to say, there's probably a lot. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah. There's so many. But I chose two. The first one I chose was Heifer.org, mostly because I was like, that's hilarious. (laughs) But I'm sure you've heard of them before. Heifer International. You ever heard of them? Mm -mm. Oh, I totally have. I really like this. They're ending poverty, beginning with agriculture. We're on a mission to end hunger and poverty in a sustainable way by supporting and investing alongside local farmers and their communities. The reason I chose them is because, like, let's say you want to interact with some kind of, like, larger livestocky animal. Uh This would be a safer way to, like, have your own goat, right? Raise a milk cow. I, I do want some have goats. some chickens <laughs> like these are better ways to interact with animals that might fulfill that part of you that wants to feed a bison. Like don't feed a bison, support Heifer International, get your own cow. I love it. But be careful about the milk. Also, <laughs> don't, don't give it away. Don't give I it mean, to Megan. She's like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, man. 
there's I've always thought like what is it about milk I don't know I don't know what it is I think it's because I was is a for- that why you want this organization I, to work? <laughs> I think it's because I was a formula baby right it was the 80s it's like formula everything yeah so I well, think so that's was why. I but I don't know oh maybe I don't know maybe not <laughs> <laughs> um the second organization to support I chose is the National Wildlife Federation they have a page specifically for bison it is at www.nwf.org and then it has like a backslash our work wildlife conservation bison tribal lands it's in the show notes just go look at it i forgot to mention heifer international is www.heifer.org which again heifer.org heifer i love it so the national wildlife federation says tribal people have a deep historical cultural traditional and spiritual connection to bison that stretches back thousands of years the National Wildlife Federation and the tribe share a common vision of establishing herds of genetically pure wild bison across the West and restoring Native Americans' cultural connection to bison. I did have a couple more paragraphs. We went through a lot of these issues. And I think that this is a good organization to support to help get rid of some of that red tape. Like, yeah, help everybody work together. Let's get it done so that these wild populations can be back where they should be. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thank you for that. That was that was so interesting. You're welcome. We all love some bison. Yeah. We just, you know, from a safe distance. From a safe distance. Yeah. Exactly. Hundred plus feet, I say. So far away. So far. We're in Guam. Listen. (laughs) I have thought about doing an episode on water buffalo and then like wondering if there are any stories in Guam if people have been hurt by them. There's that one that's at like a at the Valley of the Lati. Uh-huh. You know, the old man who owns that water buffalo is like, oh, you know, he's really nice. You know, and I'm just like looking at him and people like ride it, you know. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, no. Mm -mm." Yeah, it's a thing here. There's a bunch uh, on some lands here that they kind of roam wild. Right. Yeah. But they've I think they've uh, sterilized. A lot of them. Most of them. Yeah. yeah, So that doesn't get too crazy. And I know they collar them to like track Who's uh-huh. who and what's what? That's a big hurt. That one particular. I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, and I know some people who have been chased. No, thank by you. By said herds, and I think because there were calves, right? Yeah, around. So, so they feel threatened. So I don't know. That was a while ago. If they've all been sterilized, <laughs> or I mean, who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a that's really interesting. I we're also I'm planning to do a wolf episode, but it oh. might be two episodes. Yeah, because that's... it's a lot. That's a bigger conflict. I mean, they're all awful conflicts. That's like complicated. It's com- it's so complicated and sad. And the, I feel like I constantly see things mm-hmm. in the news about another wolf. Like there yeah. was just recently like a Mexican gray wolf. What they said one that was very, very genetically, I don't know, like different or mm-hmm. something was killed oh. recently, like a week or so ago. Anyway, boo. But yeah, we don't like it. It's coming up. Yeah. I'm working on it. Well, Jen, I'm glad you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we have come to that time. Our emergency preparedness kit. Yes. What would you put in our emergency preparedness kit for uh, the bison or for people? I know, right? So I I think that for me, yeah, if people are threatening wildlife, mm-hmm. then there's no help for them. Right. I mean, they're just going to have to face the consequences, unfortunately, yes. because yeah, I yeah. feel worse for the animal. True. And so if something happens to the person, it's just you knew. That's the consequence. And you did it anyway. You effed around and found out. Yes, yeah. exactly. 
the people I feel sorry for are the, especially these elderly people, these yeah. women that were attacked, Do unknowingly yes. threatened, yeah. I guess, or yeah. walked past a bison without knowing. Like that one lady coming out of her. Carrying laundry. Carrying laundry. Just she was, what, thing. 76? Yeah. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So I think I was thinking along the lines of that, that, you know, I started making me think about those, um, like alarm systems for elderly people, you know, like if they push the button, like they wear it and it's like, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yes, those, exactly. But what if they had one that had some sort of like trigger Mm -hmm. that there's like a bison in the area, in the area. So stay inside. Yeah. Or there was some sort of like, I mean, how many things would you have? Like wolf, bison, bear. (laughs) (laughs) You could have settings. Yeah, for where you live, depending on where you live, right? And what kind of predator, you know, like not because they're not predators, but what right. kind of like threat mm-hmm. could be in the area that might mm-hmm. hurt you? Yeah, you know, you wouldn't know. Like today's not a good day to go outside. There's a herd of bison. Yes, roaming free over and by. And it's like, yeah, alert, bison, like something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's like some sort of alarm, bison detection alarm for elderly. I like it. I like it a lot. To save people who just might not know. Right. Yeah. Because we can't stop bison from bisoning. Th- this is the truth. And you know what? They deserve it. Bison are going to bison. They need to do what they need to do. Bison, bison, bison. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But old people just walking outside carrying their laundry don't deserve it, bison. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not cool. But let's protect everybody. Yeah. Agreed. So that's what I got for you. I like that. That's nice. That's and- a That's like a heartwarming... You know what? Like looking out for people who might not have, you know, the uh, aware, being aware of what's going on, you Listen, know, because they're I doing have a real stuff. soft spot for elderly people. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's very nice, Jen. Well, thank you. All right. Put it in the kit. Put it in the pack. Done deal. <laughs> Let's get it done. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. You're Gonna Die Out There is produced by us, Jen and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury. We'd love it if you can leave us a five star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts. You can support us by following on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts or becoming a patron. Check out more on our website at you'regonnadieoutthere.com where you can see our awesome eco-friendly sponsors and Nature Nerd Artisans page. If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on the website or to our email you'regonnadieoutthere at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye.